thousand hymns. And Charles and his brother John, who was a preacher, were both ordained ministers, and they founded a holy group called the Methodists because of their methods of rising early and strict Bible study. Yet they were both caught in the trap of legalism, and, and a mission trip to the Americas proved to be disastrous. And Charles came home broken and, and ill. After his return, both he and his brother were told made the acquaintance of Moravian Peter Bowler, who urged Charles to look more deeply at the state of his soul and who taught them about the true evangelical Christianity. In May of 1738, once again ill, Charles read Martin Luther's book on Galatians, and he was convicted. He wrote, at midnight, I gave myself to Christ, assured that I was safe whether sleeping or waking. I had the continual experience of his power to overcome all temptation, and I confessed with joy and surprise that he was able to do exceedingly abundantly for me above what I can ask or think. He said, now I found myself at peace with God and rejoiced in the hope of a loving Christ. I saw that by faith I stood. And two days later, he wrote this hymn, And Can It Be? And, and the hymn's words bear out his theory well, especially the words of verse 4. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Let's sing it together this morning. Amazing love 
Swaffham, Norfolk, on September 27, 1735. Growing up, he loved his studies, loved reading books, but he had a wild side. Early in his London days, we're told he got mixed up with a very bad group of teenagers who led him into trouble, terrible trouble. And in fact, the time came when all of his actions and misdeeds so shamed his own family they refused to be responsible for his liabilities. And one night, the famous Methodist preacher, Whitefield, was holding a tent meeting in town. Robinson decided to go hear him. The text that night was Matthew 3-7. But when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Mr. Whitefield got to work on the text, and he portrayed the Sadducees, but his words failed to touch Robert's heart, for he felt himself to be as good as any other. Then Mr. Whitefield described the Pharisees, ostentatious, seemingly righteous, but within their hearts was the poisonous venom of the viper, he said. That description fit Robert's condition exactly, and, and the word came as an arrow from God, he said, penetrating deep into his heart. He shuddered. The preacher paused, and lifting up his hand to heaven, with tears flowing down his face, cried as as only Mr. Whitefield could. Oh, my hearers, the wrath to come, 
the wrath to come. Those words Robinson later recounted to a friend sunk into my heart like lead in water. I wept. And when the sermon was ended, retired alone. For days and weeks, I could think of little else. Those awful words would follow me where I went. He ran from those words for the next three years. Till finally on December 10th, 1755, at the age of 20, he gave his heart to Christ. And he said he found full and free forgiveness through the precious blood of Christ. He threw himself into ministry for the Lord. He was talented. He became a, a minister of the gospel in his hometown of Norfolk. Three years into his ministry, however, in 1758, he found out what so many of us have discovered. Serving the Lord isn't easy. Dealing with people isn't easy. At one point, he found himself so busy in ministry, but his heart was away from the Lord. He didn't know if he should continue on or in all honesty abandon his ministry. And he decided to quit. He decided to abandon what he had started. And the words of Psalm 116, verse 7, were directed to his heart. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. An inner struggle ensued and, and raged until at last his soul returned to its rest. And he consecrated himself afresh and anew to the work of the Lord. Afterwards, feeling that a record of his, ex his experience would be helpful to others, he wrote, this next hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Bind my wandering 
And it is said that out of great trial is born great triumph. Our greatest accomplishments, our greatest enlightenments often come out of our darkest hours. And so it is with our last hymn this morning, penned by Horatio G. Spafford. Mr. Spafford was a well-to-do Christian lawyer across the pond here, back here. We've been in, in uh, England, but he was an American writer. He was a well-to-do Christian lawyer from the city of Chicago who had but a short time previously lost his only son. And soon after that, the great fire of Chicago swept away his heavy investments on the shores of Lake Michigan. And he then decided to just take a break from it all. He planned a European trip for himself, his wife, and their four daughters. This was in the fall of 1873. Last-minute business matters, however, detained Mr. Spafford from accompanying his wife and the girls to Europe on board a French steamer, but he intended to follow them a few days later. The steamer was the largest ship afloat at the time, and it was about two-thirds of its way across the Atlantic when at 2 o'clock in the morning of November 22, 1873, it collided with an English sailing vessel. The steamer floundered rapidly, went down within half an hour, but before it did so, Mrs. Spafford knelt in prayer with her four children, asking God that they might be saved or made ready to die, whichever was his will. The four children perished, but Mrs. Spafford was among the 28, only 28 survivors that were picked up by another ship and landed nine days later at Cardiff. She immediately cabled her husband two words, saved alone a meaningful message which he later had framed and hung in his office. Mr. Spafford immediately took the first available boat to join his bereaved wife in England. In deep heart sorrow, he crossed the Atlantic, and it's reported that on board the vessel, when near the spot of his children's watery grave, he penned the words of this immortal hymn, It is well with my soul. For the last 150 years, it's been sung in every corner of the planet because for believers, its truth resonates so assuredly. The state of our souls, once we come to Christ, can never be changed, shaken, or altered. It has been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and no matter what we go through, that can't change. It may not be well with my world. It may not be well with my country. It may not be well with my job may not be well with my body. It may not be well with my mind. It may not be well with the circumstances around me, but it is well with my soul. Let's sing together. like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot 
Well, good morning again. You know, my wife and I, Anne, have been uh, made very, very welcome here since we first came here two years ago. We feel very much at home in San Ramon Bible Chapel. Um, I think we've made many new friends. And um, it's just a great privilege for me to be asked to speak to you this morning. Um, <clears throat> I just hope that you can cope with an Irishman's accent <laughs> and with an Irishman's language. We say tomato, you say tomato. <laughs> we say lift, you say ele elevator. And there are many differences in our language, but, you know, I couldn't help but think this morning as we listened to the worship team that whenever we all get home to heaven, we're all going to sing the same language. And we're all going to sing the same song. And the Bible calls it the new song. And it's unto him who loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own precious blood. Isn't it a great thing to be saved and to be born again? We were down in the shops this week, you know, at Livermore. <clears throat> I was dragged down, but I had to go, you know. <laughs> and this, we were in this shop and this huge American chap came into the shop, you see, and he's looking at these shirts and the assistant, uh, the server, said to him, um, <clears throat> would you like a new shirt? And he said, you know, ma'am, he said, I'd like a new body to put in that shirt. <laughs> but you know, dear brethren and sisters, when we all get home to heaven, we're not only going to have a new song, but we're going to have a new body. Amen. We're all worried about our bodies down here. We're at the gym. We're on the roads. We're lifting the weights, but up there we're going to have a new body, like unto his body of glory. So it's a wonderful thing to be saved and to know the Lord Jesus. And these hymns have really touched my heart already this morning. And I trust that what we have to say will, will continue to bring glory to the Lord Jesus and be an encouragement to all your hearts today. Now, before I came away, it was Christmas time at home. And um, to our own fellowship at home, I spoke a little word on the subject of the little town of Bethlehem. I spoke in Bethlehem. And when dear brother Adel here asked me just a couple of uh, weeks ago would I speak here, I thought to myself, you know, that little word on Bethlehem is still warm and precious to my heart. And I would like to speak again this morning, even though Christmas has passed and that season's passed, there's something about the coming into the world of the Lord Jesus that, that, that gives us very pleasant thoughts of Bethlehem. And I want to bring that to you this morning in the moments that remain. So let us uh, read some verses, please. First of all, in the, in the book of Genesis in chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. <clears throat> and we're going to read from verse number 16. 
Genesis 35, verse 16, And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Epaphrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, for thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, and his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Epaphrath, which is Bethlehem. You may have noticed in the margin of your Bible there in verse 18 that the meaning of the name Benoni, it is the son of my sorrow. Now a verse please in the Gospel by John in chapter 7 in the New Testament. John chapter 7. And we're going to read at uh, verse number 40. John chapter 7, verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture saith that Christ cometh of the seed of David, and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was born. Now lastly, we're going to read in the Gospel by Luke in chapter 2, and just one verse at verse number 15. Luke chapter 2 and verse 15, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Now we trust the Lord will bless these lovely readings from his book to all our hearts. The reason why I read in Genesis chapter 35 is because in Genesis 35, you have the very first mention in your Bible of the town of Bethlehem. And it was at Bethlehem where they the lady Rachel brought forth her little child, which you called Benoni. And in the margin of your Bible, you have that translation that Benoni really means the son of my sorrow, the son of my sorrow. So in the very first mention of the little town of Bethlehem, you have Bethlehem associated with sorrow, <clears throat> with sorrow. And how, wonder- <clears throat> how wonderful it is that when we think of Bethlehem, we think of one who came. We think of one who came from a land of joy and gladness, a land of songs and a land of singing, a land of happiness and peace, a land where sin was unknown. And we think of one this morning who came to a world of sorrow, a world of sin, and a world of shame. And did our dear brother Dean this morning, did he not read to us from Isaiah chapter 53 that when he came, he was despised, and he was rejected of men, and he was the man of sorrows. Bethlehem associated with sorrow. We sing a hymn at home. Perhaps you sing it here. 
Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, we can say this morning, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bethlehem associated with sorrow. The reason why I read in John's Gospel, chapter 7, is because that in John chapter 7, you have the last mention of Bethlehem in the Bible. And in John chapter 7, there's a discussion amongst the people about who the Lord Jesus really was. And some said he might be a prophet. And others said, well, I think he's the Christ. But others said, how could he be the Christ? Sure, Christ must be born in Bethlehem and he comes from Galilee. Can Christ come from Galilee, they said? And in John chapter 7, you'll find that the people had forgotten. They had forgotten that he was born in Bethlehem. They thought he came from Galilee. And they had forgotten that he was born in the little town of Bethlehem. So if in the first mention of the Bible you have Bethlehem associated with sorrow, in the last mention in the Bible of Bethlehem, you have Bethlehem associated with forgetfulness. The people forgot where he had been born. How sad it is, dear Christian friends, that we live in a world where he has largely been forgotten. Forgotten in his own world. A stranger in his own world. In the world his hands is made. But how precious it was for us this morning as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to take that bread and to take that cup, to take that wine and to remember him who came. Remember him in all his woe. Remember him in all his sorrow and sufferings on Calvary's middle tree. And to remember the day he walked up Calvary's hill for you and me and was crucified by wicked men by hands and feet on Calvary's tree to shed his precious blood that you and I might sing that new song in the land that is fairer than day by and by. Bethlehem associated with sorrow. Bethlehem associated with forgetfulness. Let us never forget him. But in Luke chapter 2, I want to take up these words, these delightful words of the shepherds. Let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this great thing which has come to pass. You know, it's it's very precious to me, uh, dear Christian friends this morning, it's very precious to me that the shepherds found him before the wise men. I'm sure you all know that, that the shepherds, You know these Christmas cards that you get and you see the wise men and the shepherds all together around the manger. You know that that's all men's imagination that he was probably two years of age or or around that time before the wise men got there but the shepherds got there first. Simple shepherds found him first. You know I stand before you this morning. I have no university education. I have no degrees. I'm not highly educated. There are maybe some among you here that have 
just menial jobs, just ordinary people, ordinary people. Does it not touch our hearts this morning that that simple people like us have found the Lord Jesus for ourselves and embraced him as our Savior and as our Lord and as our friend and many of our peers in the world that are much more intelligent and advanced and clever than we are have never found him? What a wonderful thing it is, dear friends, this morning that the Lord Jesus, to the likes of you and me, has revealed his precious Son. The shepherds found him first before the wise men. You know that Bethlehem means the house of bread? What a precious thing it was when the bread of life came to the house of bread. What a morning that was. The bread of life coming to the house of bread to reveal himself to reveal God to a lost world and to show men and women that God loved the world of sinners lost and ruined by the fall. What a wonderful thing Bethlehem is. You know that the Lord Jesus only spoke once about his birth. I find that most remarkable that he spoke often about his death and he spoke often about his resurrection. But he only spoke one time about his birth. And he spoke about his birth to a most unusual person. The only time he ever spoke about his birth was when he was in Pilate's judgment hall. And he spoke to Pilate about his birth. And Pilate said to him, Art thou a king then? And the Lord Jesus referred to his birth for the only time. He said, For this cause was I born. That was his humanity. And he said, For this cause came I into the world. That was his deity. He had been existent before. For this cause came I into the world. He brought before Pilate his humanity and his deity. The only time that ever he spoke about his birth. What happened that night at Bethlehem? You remember that when the children of Israel went down into Egypt as slaves? You remember that Pilate... You remember that... that, that, uh, uh, Pharaoh, you remember that Pharaoh, um, the Bible says that they cried out by reason of their affliction. And Pharaoh gave them a hard life down there in Egypt as slaves. But you know one thing he did give them? And you read about it in Exodus chapter 1. You'll find that in Exodus chapter 1, Pilate and, uh, Pharaoh, in spite of the hardness of his heart, you know what he gave them? He gave them midwives. And in Exodus chapter 1, you will read the names of a couple of the, of the midwives of the children of Israel. Even in the hardness of that man's heart, he permitted, the labor, he permitted the ladies in labor to have a midwife. When you come to Bethlehem, there was no midwife. She was all alone. bringing into the world alone the person of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says she brought him forth and she wrapped him in swaddling bands and she led him in the manger. 
Does it not touch our hearts this morning? That the Lord who created it all, the Lord of all, brought into the world without even a midwife to assist at his birth. What did the angel say? The angel said to Mary, the angel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Now I haven't come from Ireland to tell you what that means because I don't know. I don't know. I cannot go beyond what Scripture says. I cannot go beyond what the Bible says. The Holy Ghost, the mystery of godliness is beyond our comprehension. All I know, Christian friends, this morning is this, that he was motherless in eternity. And he was fatherless in time. The wonder of it all. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow What does that mean? I submit to you that that means that that same power of the Holy Spirit that was at his conception was the same power that was at Mary's disposal right through those months of carrying and of burden. And I take it that that power of the highest that overshadowed her would protect her from harm. I submit to you she would never have disease and she would never be ill. And you know that old donkey that brought her up from Nazareth to Jerusalem? That old donkey would never fall. That old donkey would never, would never stumble because the power of the highest was overshadowing her and protecting her. And she would never have miscarriage. The wonder of it all, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Isn't it wonderful? Have you ever noticed in the Bible that nobody ever... And this is amazing. I just noticed this recently when I was kind of looking at this when I was speaking on this at home. Nobody in the Bible ever called him Jesus. Did you ever notice that? He spoke to his disciples one day and he said to his disciples, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. With no record of anybody ever calling him Jesus. Do you think that when he was a little child in the manger that Mary didn't whisper into his ear Jesus, precious Jesus. Soon those ears would hear the oaths and curses of the world. But into those infant ears of the Lord Jesus surely his mother would have called him Jesus. The wonder of it all, we cannot. Let us go now even on to Bethlehem and see this great sight, this great thing which has come to pass. It was a Scottish, <clears throat> it was a Scottish poet from Edinburgh 
who wrote the words. We have it in a hymn book at home. Here's what he wrote. He wrote on that most glorious morn at Bethlehem, when Christ the Lord was born at Bethlehem, he came, O wondrous sight, forth from the realms of light into this world of night at Bethlehem. How glad we are for Bethlehem. And what's the challenge of our message this morning as we close, as we finish? What's the challenge of our message? Well, the challenge of our message, friends, is this this morning, that if there had been no Bethlehem, there could have been no Calvary. If there had been no cradle, there couldn't have been a cross. If there had been no incarnation, there could have been no redemption. And you and I are here this morning, not only because of Bethlehem, but because of Calvary. And the challenge to our hearts this morning is, um, do we all know him? Have we all confessed him? You know what the Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And it says, if thou shalt believe in thine heart, believe in thine heart. You see, salvation isn't, uh, salvation doesn't head work. It's not about believing in the head. Salvation is heart work. Believe in thine heart. Make him your all. Make him your everything. And the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. Thank you for your kind attention. May the Lord bless you all. thank you for Bethlehem, as we heard. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And today, as we heard, if there are anyone here without this Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, may open, or she opens her heart. Open their hearts, Lord. <coughs> Change their lives. And let them experience the true meaning of salvation. True life and life eternal. We thank you for our brother all the way from Ireland to share with us your word that we enjoy. May you bless him, bless his wife and his family. And we pray, Lord, that this word will not be forgotten, but will live by it. And we win souls through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For in his name, we ask